yes, I was 52 at the time. I'm 60 mm -hmm. now. So I was 52. Um, I joined, I came to the office for the first time and I realized, oh my God, these people are so young. <laughs> I mean, I knew the founders were young, but the founders were right. 31 and 29. There were three founders, two 31, yeah. one 29. But the average age in the company was, was 26. So mm -hmm. I was twice the age. And within the first month, someone called me the, you know, Airbnb's modern elder. And I said, what does that mean? What does that mean to be a modern elder? And they said, it means you're as curious as you are wise. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am delighted to welcome Chip Conley to the My Fourth Act podcast. When you Google Chip Conley, it tells you that Chip is a hotelier. I love that word. In 1987, Chip founded Joie de Vivre Hospitality, where he created and managed about 50 boutique hotels. Chip is best known to many for his role at Airbnb, where he, in 2013, became head of global hospitality and strategy. Chip has written several best-selling books on business and leadership, most recently, The Extraordinary Wisdom at Work, subtitled The Making of a Modern Elder. I want to talk with Chip about his reclaiming of the word elder and the mission and work of his Modern Elder Academy. I cannot think of a more perfect guest for the My Fourth Act podcast than Chip Conley. So welcome. Thank you, Akeem. It's just uh, a joy to be here. And I don't know if you can hear, but I'm here in Baja and there are birds in the background. Yeah, rub it in, rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am in South Florida where it's usually beautiful, but it's raining outside right now. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, I, like, I love to start every conversation with a simple question. Who, who did Chip Conley want to be when he was a young boy? And what were your dreams of growing up? What did that look like in your mind? Uh, when I was growing up, I wanted to either be president of the United States, mm -hmm. a sportscaster, or a movie star. So <laughs> clearly, <laughs> I wanted to be on stage. What's funny about all that was that I was a bit of an introvert. And um, one of the things I said to my father when I was 12 was that, Dad, I want to be a, a writer when I grow up. Mm -hmm. I want to write for a living. My dad said, writers are either poor or psychotic, and most are both. And I did not know what psychotic meant, but it didn't sound good. So that was, at that point, the what I thought would be the end of my writing career. And of course, mm -hmm. I became an entrepreneur and, and then started writing about being an entrepreneur. So yes, uh, those are those, those are my, my dreams and aspirations in my teen years. When, when you brought out the big guns, like I want to be a president or I want to be an actor, was it a secret wish or did you share that with mom and dad? And if you did, what, what was their reaction? Well, the actor was purely something probably I did when I was about seven years old and you had to draw yourself when you were later. And I drew myself oh. as an actor. Um, so that was really probably not something I thought of when I was in my teen years. President, yes, I was very politically interested um, and 
uh, very curious about it. And so my parents knew that's something that I might 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 want to do someday. Um, you know, it's sort of not an easy thing to aspire to. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing, yeah, the thing that really spoke to me more than anything was I liked writing. I liked writing from a young age, and I felt a little embarrassed by that. You felt. Uh, even though Ernest Hemingway is a very macho guy, generally speaking, the way I saw it in the, my community was being a writer is, means that you're not very masculine, it's sort of like yeah. a, not a masculine thing. And I was a pretty good athlete. So I, you know, I checked the box for the masculine in that way, but yeah, I was secretly this much more private, much more internal person with a bit of an imaginary life that I wanted to write about. Mm. And that- well, two parts that were interesting. Any dream that doesn't fit a certain stereotype is interesting when we share it with others, but also admit it to ourselves, right? Yeah. And uh, and dreams don't that don't necessarily scream you're going to make a lot of money are challenging dreams as well, right? And I, the fact that you had a bunch of those are really cool, but you still wanted to be president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that was partly because I just, I, I was always fascinated by Washington, D.C. Yeah. In fact, my, my first job between my first and second year of uh, college was to work um, on Capitol Hill. Um, and, and so, yeah, but then I, that experience that summer, <laughs> woke me up to the fact that Washington, D.C. Is, yes. is not as idealistic as I thought. Yeah. Well, I, I want to get as soon as we can to the notion of the word elder, which really interests sure. me. The, the fourth act audience are, if I just summarize them, our folks have had really cool, successful lives, but they're ready to play some more. Yeah. Before we go there, however, a bunch of your life leading up to you writing a book that in my mind, reclaims the word elder, which I love, mm-hmm. is very much associated with the hospitality industry. I, I mentioned in the intro. And my sense is there probably were lots of wonderful highs and lots of real lows. <laughs> I don't think of that as a neutral career. So if you would give us a glimpse, if, if, if there's a moment that stands out where you went, this is why I loved working in that industry, what might that be? It was usually our annual holiday party. So we had hotels, restaurants, and spas all over California, but mostly around the San Francisco Bay Area. And we would have an annual holiday party, bring people together, but people could actually bring their families. So it was not just, it was an evening event. People would get dressed up, they would dance, they would, you know, have beautiful dinner, et cetera. And we would have, you know, over a thousand people at these events. And to actually have my our employees come up to me with such pride um, and introduce their daughter who had just had her quinceanera, you know, she was 15 years old, or uh, to introduce their son who was the first uh, person, first person in their family to ever go to college. I mean, just the level of pride, the sense of connection. I mean, you know, that's what joie de vivre means, joy of life. And I could feel the joy of life there, as well as the fact that we were an extended family. Um, Because you know the hospitality industry is full of people who are immigrants, yeah. and and so you know they often come to the United States without you know a family and friends, and so their fam- their sort of extended family and friends become the people they work with. 
Uh, I have to chuckle as you're speaking because we're, this is going to be an audio podcast, but I, I'm seeing you on video and there's a book on the shelf right behind you and it says family. <laughs> and I oh, see yeah. photos of what looks like family. So th th there's a visual around the importance of family. And, yeah. and I'm also thinking about the power of work families, surrogate families, and, and the kind of communities that we can create when we work in the right way. And the holiday party is a wonderful symbol of the depth of relationship that's possible at work, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, I think we are thirsty for community in, in mm. all of its forms. And uh, certainly COVID has accelerated that as well. So um, to create the conditions for people to feel deeply connected with each other yeah. is, is part of the job of a leader, in my opinion. I, I know we we don't want to spend the whole time telling war stories, but I, as somebody who's also moved on and exploring new things, which we're going to talk about, if you have to think of a moment in your life in hospitality where you went, why the heck am I doing this? Yeah. Can you give us one sample? Sure. Um, you know, it was August of 2008. Um, I, our company uh, had gone through the dot-com bust of 9-11. Yeah. Uh, we'd survived it and actually we'd thrived pretty well. But now we were going into the Great Recession soon after that. And I had had my third book come out called Peak, How Great Companies Get Their Mojo from Maslow. It became very successful and I was giving a lot of speeches and I was realizing, yes, now I can be the writer I want to be and I can go out and <laughs> speak about these things. And, and then what I was feeling was um, I was being, I felt like I was being brought back into the company because the recession was, was hitting us pretty hard. And we had we just had opened a lot of new hotels, and then I had a flatline experience. I actually died. Um, I literally died, and um, and had to be resuscitated actually more than once um, because of an allergic an allergic reaction to an mm -hmm. antibiotic. And I think it was around that time that I realized, you know, I started this company, this company Joie to create joy yeah. for our employees, our customers, uh, hopefully our investors. And myself, but I'm not feeling much joy anymore. I, I also started the company to, because I wanted to to create that's the conditions for a family to create yeah. be created, and I like the creativity and freedom. But I wasn't feeling that either. So it was around that time that I, when I had my flatline experience, that I said, you know, I can't do this anymore. I have 3,500 employees, and they deserve a, a CEO. Mm -hmm who really is engaged. And I went from being, it was like the, there was no dimmer switch here. It was like on and then off. Yeah. So over the next two years during the great recession, I had to figure out a way to sell it, actually sell the business mm -hmm. and move me on to what I needed to, to do next. Well, you had the classic um, wake up call from God, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but and, and what I'm hearing is you were willing to listen to God. Because not well, everybody is. Oh, for sure. I, I I called it divine intervention. I yeah. I, I really did. I and, and here and the irony of it all is here's the hotel you're getting a wake up call. <laughs> that's what you <laughs> that's what you do in hotels. I didn't even get that. But yeah, yeah. So there here there I was having my wake up call, and reading Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl's quite yeah. famous book, in the hospital that night because I had brought a lot brought it along with me, um, on my my business trip. Where I was giving speeches on the book, and and so I think there was a lot there, and it you know in many ways it's it, it's the seeds for what we're going to talk a little bit later about, which is 
um, the academy that we created because yeah. there are a lot of people at age 47 or 55 or whatever age they're <clears throat> or 62 who are sort of like lost and feeling like something's not working here. <laughs> I'm having a midlife crisis, but you know, I have a, a whole different perspective on midlife crisis now, but let's keep going chronologically. We're not there yet. No, wait, wait, we're, we're almost there. I just, because you're associated with a really cool, sexy brand, Airbnb. And I just want to acknowledge I have been an Airbnb super host <laughs> and it, that experience enriched my lives in so many ways. Mm. So I'm speaking from my own experience. Um, with, we could spend hours on Airbnb, but I'm just, I'm sure listeners are going like, how, how does somebody like Chip Conley get the phone call where somebody like Brian Chesky says, Hey, uh, I'd like for you to do help us grow Airbnb. Can you just tell us like how, how yeah, does that so kind of thing happen? So Brian calls me and says, Chip, how would you like to democratize hospitality? Democratize hospitality. Hmm, that's uh -huh. interesting. And then he starts telling me about Airbnb. Now, this was eight and a half years ago. I'd never used it, didn't know much about it. Um, like many hoteliers, I thought it was just sort of this millennial thing that would never go anywhere. Right. But their headquarters was 12 blocks from my home. <laughs> so this was not an easy, this was not a hard thing to say uh, yes to because it was like, yeah. okay, I can walk to work. Yeah. Um, but I said to him, I'll, I'll I'll mentor you. I'll give you 15 hours a week and then let's see how it goes. And, but within a few weeks, it was like, wow, Brian, you need me a lot more than 15 hours a week. You need me 15 hours a day. And, and he said, yeah, I know. And I said, well, why didn't you say that? He says, I didn't know we needed you that much because it was a fast growing company, but it was still quite small. Yeah. There was nobody in the company who had a hospitality background or frankly, much of a leadership background. Um, so I became the head of global hospitality and strategy and was Brian's mentor. And in many ways, I took what I learned from Joie de Vivre about how to create a great culture, applied it there, took what I learned about the hospitality and travel business, applied it there, took what I learned about leadership and entrepreneurship, applied it there. And I spent four years um, in a full-time role helping this little steer this rocket ship with the founders until I then moved to a strategic advisor role, uh, which I did for four years. Yeah. Um, as well. So eight, basically eight years total. So when you started at Airbnb, were you an elder? Man, I have this vision of that. These, these young guys and they're saying, yeah. we need, we need an older dude with some experience. Let's call Chip Conley. I, I don't think they were actually looking. I don't think they actually were looking necessarily for an older person, but they were definitely looking for someone with experience. So, okay. That usually will mean an older person. Yeah. Um, what they were looking for. Yes. I was 52 at the time. I'm 60 mm -hmm. now. So it's 52. Um, I joined, I came to the office for the first time and I realized, oh my God, these people are so young. I mean, I knew <laughs> the founders were young, but the founders were right. 31 and 29. There were three founders, two 31, yeah. one 29, but the average age in the company was, was 26. So mm -hmm. I was twice the age. And within the first month, someone called me the, you know, Airbnb's modern elder. And I said, what does that mean? What does that mean to be a modern elder? And they said, it means you're as curious as you are wise. Because a modern elder has to understand the context for yeah. how to deliver their wisdom. But you're also, as the person said to me, and of course they knew it, you've never worked in a tech company before. And so you're working in a tech company for the very first time. Yeah. And so you better be curious because otherwise you're going to go running for the hills. And that, that is true. I was very scared the first couple, first few months, because I really felt like an imposter. Um, here I am supposed to be helping the founders run this company. And 
and be the wise elder. But he, at times I felt like the imbecile, you know, the, mm -hmm. somebody who just did not understand the, the world. And of course, I was also the head of strategy for a tech company. I was like, <laughs> I've never worked in a tech company. What it, you know? So the lingo was the lingo, and everything else was really something I had to learn quickly. And I think that there's something to that. I think that you know, when you are putting yourself as a midlifer in a situation where you have to actually learn something new, it's it's great. It forces you from a fixed mindset yeah. to a growth mindset. And when you're in a growth mindset, you're less worried about how it looks and are you going to be successful you're more focused on are you learning and yeah. you define success as learning a word from your sponsor that's me i invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast www.myfourthact.com you will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans And you will also learn more about the, the My Fourth Act Mastermind groups where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. What I'm hearing, and I just want to just, just see if I, I can invite you to spell it out. Older does not necessarily mean elder or wiser, right? Yes. And you just described the mindsets that are essential for, for being a true elder. Yeah, and I think, yeah. Would you speak to that? Sure. So, so let's start by saying elder and elderly are two different things. Elderly is probably the last five or 10 years of our lives. It's, a, it's often a time where we need some additional support and services. And, yeah. you know, that's it, it, with how long we're living these days, it's often in people's mid eighties or later. Uh, my parents are both 83 and, and they're not elderly and they're really not. So, so I think elderly and elder, you could be an elder for 30 or 40 years because it's a relative term. It means that you're surrounded by people who are younger than you. Mm -hmm. And at Airbnb, that was clearly the case, but you're right. I don't think just because you're older, it means you're a wise elder. Now you're, you could be an elder. If elder is purely a, a speaking of relatively speaking, you're older than everybody else. So you could be an elder, but you're not going to be an elder that anyone wants to listen to if you don't have a little bit of wisdom to offer, yeah. nor the ability to actually take your wisdom and give it some context. Because if I went into uh, to Airbnb and was just talking about how the hotel industry worked and tried to apply basic rules of thumb, like, oh, a maid cleans 12 rooms in an eight hour shift mm. that doesn't matter at airbnb yeah so i had to look at what do i know my knowledge take it through the the filter of how is this relevant in a home sharing company that's really a tech company yeah. and then on the other side say okay here's what i'm going to deliver to you otherwise i'm just spouting history Yeah. And this is the challenge with a lot of older people, with younger people, is you just spout what you know, but you don't give it context. Mm. And when you give it context, all of a sudden, people, the younger people are leaning in and saying, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I can start to see how it relates to what we're doing here. A word that I've also seen ascribed to you, and that's well-worn in popular culture is the word midlife or midlife crisis. Yeah. How does 
sort of a, a re-examination in midlife relate to being an elder or stepping into elderdom or elder wisdom? Uh, how do you see that as a potential connection? Well, let's start by saying in the, tw- and I'll be brief on this, but this is a somewhat you know geeky thing I'm going to talk about for a minute. In the 20th century, century we had three new life stages. They were mm-hmm. discovered and maybe named, although they existed before. The first one was adolescence. In 1904, that word got coined. And all of a sudden, teen, our teen years from puberty till 18 was a different life stage. Yeah. It's the transition life stage between childhood and adulthood. Yeah. And then you know a lot of things changed as a result of that. The second life stage that got discovered in the 20th century was retirement um, to, in the 1920s, 1930s, social security, pensions, et cetera. It was a safety net. All, in, both of these first two life stages got a huge amount of societal support and government at, at policy attention. Yeah. The third life stage that, that got popularized was in 1965 when the, when the term midlife crisis actually came to the forefront. And um, it was, it's, I mean, so in some ways, that the only thing that midlife has ever gotten from society is a bad, <laughs> a bad brand. Um, yes. So it, it did not get Social Security. It did not get public junior high schools and high schools. It did not get child labor laws. Um, so what we have is this era of life that used to be considered just about 15 to 20 years long. And as we've had more longevity, mm-hmm. midlife has gotten longer. And some yeah. sociologists now consider it 40 years long. But we have very little to, to understand about it. And so part of my pr- process of writing the book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, and ultimately creating the Modern Elder Academy, was my recognition that I had five friends during 2008 to 2010 commit suicide, all of them in midlife. Mm. And I, and these were generally people who were not in terrible places in their life, but they were struggling through something. They're all men struggling through something quite privately that they thought that was only their own affliction. Yeah. And I think midlife is the time where, you know, sometimes it's the, it's the period of time when you're supposed to learn. I'm no longer supposed to accumulate. Now I'm supposed to edit. And what does that mean? It means like you stop trying to like live your life for everybody else and gather and gather and gather and start to say like, what's really important to you and how can I go out and double down on that? And there's a lot more to it, but midlife is to me a calling as much of a, as a crisis. It's the, sometimes it's the circumstances like my flatline experience at age 47 yeah. and almost 48 that led me to saying, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, after 22 years of being founder and CEO of this company, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And Unfortunately for a lot of us, we have to have external circumstances hit us over the head to say, okay, now I can change. But more and more of us need to look at what's working and what's not to determine uh, how could I repurpose myself? How could I cultivate my wisdom? You tell a wonderful story in Wisdom at Work. And and since you wrote the book, I'm sure you remember it. (laughs) And I'd love for you to share it if you may, because it illustrates so much what you just said. And it's about a fellow named Luis Gonzalez who was the um, COO of a company called Inktel. And uh, my take was he reconnected to a, a long-time dream and passion yeah. that had never gone away. Would you share that story with us? Yeah. I think it's inspiring. Well, he's also from Florida. So, um, he is so, indeed, yes. Yeah, so here we go, a little Florida story since you're in Florida. Um, so Luis was somebody who was working 80 hours a week he knew his family. He was not being good to his family. 
he also, while he was very effective in his work and he was getting lots of success from his work as the chief operating officer of the company, he also was feeling a little bit, he, he was feeling not very significant in the world. He, he felt the success, but not the significance. And so he decided to volunteer for his local fire department, partly because one of his childhood dreams and, and fascinations was, fi you know, you know, the firemen. And um, he started volunteering, then he actually got some, he took it a step further, got the proper um, CPR and other emergency techni technician kind of things. And lo and behold, he finally got to a place where he said, listen, I've earned enough money where my family is well taken care of. I'm actually going to quit being a big time business executive and I'm going to go to being a full time fireman. And because he came into the profession in midlife, which is very unusual, mm -hmm. he had a ton of leadership skills. And so he, he really became the modern elder in his in his community amongst the fire uh, profe fire fighting professionals. Uh, emergent and emergency responders. Um, and so instead of being the rookie who just sort of came in and he actually came in as a rookie, but he also had wisdom to offer. Sort of like me at Airbnb. I was the rookie. Yep. I did no background in tech, but tons of background in leadership. I ended up having a hun hundred mentees at Airbnb over the eight years. So similarly, Luis basically became very valuable very quickly because he could take what I call same seed, different soil. Mm -hmm. He took the seed of his leadership and now he could apply it in, uh, yeah. emerg in, in emergency responders yeah. uh, world. The ability to connect dots with new dots is really powerful and, and Luis did that. You have started this amazing place called the Modern Elder Academy. So you don't just write about elders. We talk about it. Right. You started a place that um, supports elderdom. Would you elderhood. give our listener? Elder, what was that? Elderhood. 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 Um, we can say elderdom, but somebody might think I'm just talking about <laughs> dumb elders. But um, <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I, I wasn't going for dumb. <laughs> But give our listeners who may not know what the Modern Elder Academy is a sense of yeah. the physical place, but also your mission and purpose for it. Sure. So what when I stepped away from my full-time role at Airbnb about four and a half years ago, um, I, I moved down here to Southern Baja. Uh, so Baja, California Sur is part of Mexico. It's the mm. long peninsula south of California. Um, it is part of Mexico. So it's, you know, sometimes people think Baja, California. Oh, <laughs> I've never heard of that state. It's the 51st state. Of, it's not the 51st state. It's, it is part of Mexico. Right. And so here I am in Southern Baja writing my book. And I was going for a run on the beach one day and I had a Baja aha, an epiphany. And my Baja aha was, wow, why is it that we don't have midlife wisdom schools, places where people can come uh, in the middle of their adult life to actually focus on you know, what they want to do next? They're focused on their fourth act or their third act or their second yeah. act. And so I decided to create uh, Modern Elder Academy, MEA. We have a physical campus, five acres on the beach here in uh, about an hour north of Cabo San Lucas, right on the Pacific Ocean. Um, and since for three and a half years now, we have been open. We have 1,250 alumni now from uh, 25 countries. And people come for either a one-week or sometimes two-week programs, but it's usually one week. Uh, and it's all, you know, the, the focus is on how to 
cultivate and harvest your wisdom and repurpose it. And we call it the, the emergence of long life learning, not lifelong learning. Lifelong learning is great. It's sort of a bigger umbrella. But long life learning is how do you live a life that's as deep and meaningful as it is long? And how do, you, how do we help introduce you uh, through our programs to the things that you actually get better with? With age because mm -hmm. most of us are very knowledgeable about the societal narrative and what of what gets worth was worse with age but whether it's emotional intelligence or it's being able to create psychological safety on teams uh or it's the ability to connect the dots as you say um which is systemic and holistic thinking mm -hmm. uh, that's fostered by crystallized intelligence our vocabulary actually gets better strangely yeah, our memory gets worse so we may have the vocabulary but we can't remember the word yeah but, um but there's a lot of things we get better at uh with with age and um all of these things are the kinds of things that can actually help you to repot yourself not just in career but also in terms of how do you want to live your life yeah. and so we all we also now have mea online which is our online program amazing you i, I think i heard you use a phrase right now That, that jumped out, harvesting wisdom. Did you say that or did I imagine that? Did cultivating and harvesting wisdom. What does that mean to you? Because I because we can we can learn from outer disciplines, but yeah. where my mind went, it's harvesting what is already within. That's where so I let, went. Yeah. So let's let, let me tell you a story because I know you like stories. So mm -hmm. so when I was 28 years old, I start, it was two years into uh, me starting my company. We had the San Francisco earthquake known as Loma Prieta. And lots of people died and Bay Bridge collapsed, a portion of it, and nobody wanted to come to San Francisco. And I had a hotel and it was empty. And around that time, I pulled out a, um, a journal that I'd never used. And I said, and I wrote on the cover, my wisdom book. Mm. And what I started to do, and this is sort of my way of answering you. Yeah. This is my way of doing it. You can do it differently. Here at MEA, we give you a lot of different choices. What I started to do is every weekend, I would make a list of the key things I'd learned that week. Not in, the, not in a, an emotional journaling format, but yeah. more in a bullet point format of saying, okay, I learned this, 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 and this this week. And then the next week, I'd do it again, and I'd do it again. And what I was doing was I was really cultivating. I was really, yeah. in essence, in some ways, metabolizing the lessons I was having. And that was really valuable for me because not only did I sort of accelerate my learning, but I was actually codifying, codifying it. I actually had books. I have now nine wisdom books with my learning over the last 32 years. So that is a way to cultivate, so sort of, har and then harvest it. Because when I went through the Great Recession, I went back to my dot-com best 9-11, you know, uh, wisdom book and said, what did I learn during the last downturn? So there's a lot to be learned here. Um, But I also think wisdom has a lot to do with intuition and, and instinct. And, and, if, and being able to accelerate your intuition and your instinct, mm -hmm. partly by actually seeing what you've learned, seeing the, so wisdom can be known as pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. And to recognize a pattern, note it in your wisdom book, that is a way to, to yeah. be able to reflect back on it later when you can use it again. You're clearly a writer because I just love the way you use language. So the phrase, I'm saying this for our listeners, the phrase metabolizing wisdom, yeah. <laughs> that, that really got me. That's beautiful. And, and we just heard some very specific ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. 
as we start to approach the close of the conversation, I'm also hearing that you're you're an entrepreneur. You know, you started this thing. You started young as an entrepreneur. Are there any other things that are percolating in in your brain right now? Where you go, I started the Elder Academy, but there's other stuff coming up for me that, uh, even if it's not fr- totally crystallized yet. Well, the thing that we're actually really fascinated by, it's been really interesting to see how the Modern Elder Academy has been so popular. But what's been interesting is people say, we want to live in a community like this. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we're, so we we know we're sort of disrupting higher education a little bit by saying, hey, why is higher education only focused on young people? How about focusing on some people in midlife or later life? Yeah. Or, but I also think we're about to maybe disrupt retirement communities by creating regenerative <laughs> communities. And regenerative communities are, are based upon the premise that when someone's late, you know, in midlife or later, they don't necessarily want to go sh- be shunted off to, you know, a retirement community where it's just people their age. They want to actually be in a, in a much more, you know, um, generative environment with people of different generations. Instead of living on a fairway, they might want to live on a farm um, and, and they might want to have ed- an education piece woven into it. Um, and that's what we're doing. So we bought a 2,600 acre ranch outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico, mm-hmm. and we are in the process of creating our first uh, regenerative community. Although we actually have here in Baja, we have an academy campus and then we have a regenerative community here, but they're not next door to each other. They're about a mile and a half from each other. Um, so now we'll do our first one in the United States, yeah. all within uh, you know 2,600 acres. What I'm also hearing so subtext and what you're saying is that there's there's a power in being in beautiful environments which nurture mm-hmm. the soul. I mean, I haven't been to your complex in Baja, but I'm sure it's a pretty nice place. Yeah, Santa Fe is beautiful. If you were to think back and think about the wisdom you have now, and it's not a fair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and you could whisper it into young, yeah. young Chip's ear, yeah. uh, what might might you say to him? So what I would say, this is a I, this is a question we can ask ourselves throughout our lives. You could you could ask it as a fifteen year old even. What do I know now <clears throat> that I wish I'd known five or ten years ago, or even one year ago? If you're doing yeah. it at fifteen, it might be one year ago. But the one the way I look at it now is like, okay, at age sixty, what do I know now at age sixty? I wish I'd known at age fifty. Mm-hmm. Or, and the reason I say this is. Guess what? At age seventy, yeah, I could. There's going to be something I'm going to regret that I don't didn't learn at age sixty. How could I learn that now? And so for me, that's why I'm learning Spanish right now. I live in Mexico, you know, more than half the time. I grew up learning French, hence my, the name of my company, Joana <laughs> Yes, and and why not learn Spanish now? And it, yes, it won't be any easier at seventy than sixty, and it would have been easier to do it at fifty but I didn't do it. So I'm doing it now. So I think that's one of the things I would say to my younger, my younger self is take a look at what you regret. What are the things mm-hmm. I, I, I really have a hard time when people say I have no regrets in life because of course you have regrets. There are things you, you know, you didn't do life perfectly. Yeah. What I would, I think what people usually mean when they say that is I don't wallow in my regrets. Mm-hmm. Great. But regrets are a beautiful opportunity to say, how would I do, I just said fairways a moment ago, I'm going to use a fairway term, a mulligan. If I could do it over again, Mm -hmm. if I could do a do-over, what would I do over and why? 
And how does that influence me moving forward? Yeah. This links to the final question I really have for you. Um, Because a lot of listeners might be listening to you say, God, this, this guy is cool. He's taken risks in his life. He's done things that, but I cannot take those risks. You know, I, I cannot start an academy in Baja. I, I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, maybe my past wasn't as enchanted or I'm not so in touch with all of my wisdom as Chip Conley seems to be. What would you say to a listener like that? Well, I would say that there's probably friends of yours who might feel similarly. And wouldn't uh, there's a woman named Elizabeth White who has a TED talk that I, I just love. She's a student of ours and she also teaches on our MEA online program. And she's, she creates resilient circles. Mm-hmm. And this is groups of people who say, you know what? We're here for each other. Yeah. We are here to help support each other to, to actually take risks and yeah. to actually try something. You know, you're 60 years old and you want to learn Spanish for the first time, who's there to cheer you on? Yeah. Um, you are, uh, you want to go down to the, to the modern elder Academy, but you're sort of scared that it might be just a little bit too emotional or too like, you know, too vulnerable. Well, who's there to be the person who's going to talk to you every day while you're down there, you know, and they're, they're going to just do a phone call with you. Um, I think too often we think that our fears are ours alone and there are other people in our midst who are also in a stage of their life where they want to try something new, but they don't want to look stupid doing it. And sometimes you actually have to do it together. So for that group, but let's say you have three or four friends like that, go Mm -hmm. learn to juggle together. Yeah. Go learn to juggle together. Why? (laughs) Because no one's very good at it when they first do it. No one's going to get killed juggling. Um, So it's not like a making the decision to do it is not a life or death decision. And it's going to give you the start, start giving you the sense, like, I can try something new in my life. Our journey always expands when we don't do it alone, doesn't it? Even if it doesn't always feel good to be in the company of others. Thank you for all of your wisdom and insights. I, I, I can't imagine that people aren't curious about wanting to learn more about you. So if you had to send them to resources, what's the best place to, to learn more about Chip and, and his work? So you can go to the Modern Elder Academy, uh, dot com, and there's six different tiles on the homepage that say, oh, I want to learn about workshops, or I want to about, learn about sabbatical sessions, which are our longer stays, or I want to learn about this regenerative community in Santa Fe. You can learn about us there or MEA online. Um, I have a daily blog called Wisdom Well. Um, and it is just put wisdom well and chip Conley in, in Google and it'll serve it up and it's free. You, um, you, you get a, a daily email from me, or you can just look at my LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn. I put, po- we post each of our daily wisdom well posts, um, on my LinkedIn profile. So, and there's also chipconley.com. So there's a lot of different places you can learn about. Whatever. So we have no excuse to not find you. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. You do it if you do a Google chart search for Chipcom, you will see we'll find you. a lot of results. <laughs> Thank you for the gift of your time and your insights. It was Thank just you. just a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, I appreciated the the empathy you uh, you gave me with those questions. So thank you. Bye for now. Bye bye. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com. 
and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.